We'll be in Luke chapter 12 again. We started into um, a series here a few weeks back, um, really just a couple weeks ago, um, about being ready for uh, ready for eternity, being ready for the Lord's return, being ready for the judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, being ready for uh, the millennial kingdom, and, and just looking at some different truths and passages about how we prepare, and, and really the, the front end of that is um, is, is the, the preparations that we do right now, um, living with eternity in mind. It's really what we're going to look at here tonight um, in this passage in Luke chapter 12, Lord is one of the earlier times where the Lord is talking about um, how to be ready for the return of the master and, and what it means to live in the, in the fear of the Lord and in the preparation and the, the view of, of eternity coming, that, that judgment um, comes one day. As we get toward the end of the chapter, um, we'll see the kind of the middle of the chapter tonight. And as we get to the end of the chapter next week, we'll see really a parable about that, about the Lord's coming and about those who are prepared and those who are not prepared. And we want to be numbered among those who are prepared. We want to be among those uh, to whom the Lord says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Um, I want that uh, for myself. I want that for um, my, my wife and my kids. I want that for um, each, each person in our church. Um, for the Lord to greet us with that welcome, whether by um, uh, death at the end of life or by the rapture of the church. When we, when we come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, um, we should desire, we should want to be met with that, that welcome of the Lord's, uh, to, to uh, enter into the joy of the Lord and, and to be welcomed um, with that, that, uh, that, uh, that uh, acclaim from the Lord. It would be a wonderful thing. Um, we're commanded in, in scriptures to, to watch and, and to be ready for the coming of the Lord. And um, we saw, saw uh, starting last week, it, it's, it's so important for us to, to live in a state of readiness, um, to, to live with eternity in the forefront of our minds, to live as if um, today is maybe perhaps the last day that you'll, you'll live on this earth. And, and, uh, and in, and in um, leaving this world, that uh, we, we've left nothing um, undone, we've left nothing half done. Uh, we have fulfilled what it is that God has put us here to do, that, that purpose, that, that, that mission, um, that, uh, uh, that, 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 that work and that influence that we were, we were put here to have, that we have accomplished that and that we have um, walked in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we must not waste the life that we are given. Um, and to do that, we must walk in the fear of the Lord, um, the fear of the Lord um, in that, that constant um, awareness of the presence of God and of the, uh, of the sure promise of God, uh, I believe is included in that, that the Lord could return, that, um, that all of the things the Lord said needed to have happened really um, have been fulfilled by our estimation that the Lord is being patient just for um, uh, the gospel to continue to go forward for souls to be saved. The Lord is long-suffering and he's gracious and he's merciful and uh, he is giving time and space for, for souls to be saved. Um, and, uh, um, but, but other than that, I mean, the wars, the rumors of wars, the, um, the natural disasters in different places, those things are happening all the time and, and have been happening uh, really throughout the, the, the course of the last 2,000 years. Every generation of Christians is believed that they were the final generation of Christians, and the Lord didn't return for them, and uh, has brought us forward to this point right here and right now. And we believe we are the final generation of Christians, and the Lord um, will come during uh, our lifetimes. Um, but that may not be true. 
but we should live as if it is. And that's the challenge of every generation of Christians. We should live as if it is. We should live with our eyes on the eastern sky. We should wake up every morning with the thought that this could be the last day and this could be the day that the Lord returns. And if that's the case, would I be ready to meet him? Um, both in the, uh, the frame of salvation. Do I know that I have um, eternal um, salvation? Do I have eternal security in the blood of Jesus Christ? Have I placed my faith in Jesus Christ? Or am I trusting in something else? Uh, have I been confused? Have I been deceived? Uh, have I been uh, too prideful uh, to place my faith in Jesus Christ? And uh, that's not, uh, none of those things are worth it. And then for us who have been saved, uh, then to know and to be um, aware of the fact that uh, we've been put here for a purpose and God has, has called us to something special and specific and, and, and we're living our lives for that. And every day we are actively pursuing that work that God has put us here to do. Uh, we looked at the first, I believe, 13 verses of Luke chapter 12 last week and we're going to, or the first 12 verses, we're going to start in verse 13 here tonight. And it starts with an interesting parable here, but um, uh, we'll get into that uh, here in just a minute. Um, uh, and uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the challenge of remaining ready for his coming um, is certainly for us that we, uh, we live in sinful flesh surrounded by a, a fallen world. And uh, Philippians 2.15 um, says uh, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Titus 2.12 um, exhorts us um, uh, to, to live uh, uh, soberly and righteously and godly in this present world by denying ungodliness and worldly lust. And, and we can live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, in this wicked and perverse um, nation and wicked and perverse generation in which we live. Um, every generation of Christians has also faced the, the spiritual um, uh, challenge and the moral decay around them and the attacks and the temptations of the world. Um, and uh, we, our generation um, is no, no better in that sense, uh, but probably also no worse. Uh, a different kind, of, a different kind of, of evil, a different kind of temptation maybe in, in form, but not really in substance that we, that we have to um, overcome. And so uh, we have to uh, uh, trust the Lord and live in, in, and walk in the Spirit so that we can be uh, ready uh, to, to, to meet the Lord when, when, he, when he takes us to be with him. Um, let's read here a few verses. I want to get into something else here just to, by way of a little bit of, of uh, further introduction here. But I want to read here out of Luke chapter 12 tonight, starting in verse 13. It says, one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Uh, take thine ease, eat and drink and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night 
Thy soul shall be required of thee, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. I'm going to stop there for a minute. The Lord uses a, uh, a question that's asked of him uh, by, by one in, in, in the audience there. Um, uh, he, he almost um, makes a request of the Lord, almost a demand of the Lord, um, asking the Lord to use his authority as, as, a, as a teacher, as a master, as he calls him there, um, and to influence his brother to divide the inheritance with him. Um, believed this was um, something that um, uh, believed that this was something of the of the Jewish custom of the the right of of, of being the firstborn, the birthright of the firstborn, and uh, this would have probably been the a younger brother who um, wanted a larger portion of the inheritance. His brother would have gotten a, a double portion. So you think about um, you think about um, the the examples of this in the Old Testament. If there were uh, two sons, uh, Jacob and Esau, um, for instance, Isaac um, uh, has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau is the older, Jacob's the younger. Uh, when uh, Isaac was going to die and when he was going to pass his inheritance on to his two sons, um, they would not get 50-50, but rather uh, Esau would get twice as much as Jacob. By definition, as the older brother would have gotten twice as much as Jacob, he would have gotten two-thirds um, of the inheritance, and Jacob would have gotten one third of the inheritance. Think about the example of then Jacob's sons. Jacob had twelve sons, and um, his twelve sons, um, his twelve sons, um, it would not have all gotten one twelfth. Uh, but the younger, um, the younger sons um, would have gotten one thirteenth of of the inheritance, and the the oldest, it would have been um, Reuben, he would have gotten. A uh, one sixth by himself, he would have had. Uh, I'm sorry, two thirteenths, I guess, or whatever it would have been, closer to one sixth. But he would have gotten a, a double portion, a portion twice as much as his brothers received. And um, and then uh, through a, a series of different events, it, it was neither of them. It was actually Joseph, by way of Joseph's sons, that he uh, received a double portion above his brothers, according to the vision that the Lord gave to him. But this is what this this man was asking for me. He, he's saying, Lord, um, I'm the younger brother. I'm not going to get as much. Uh, I'd like more and um, and and uh, uh, tell my brother that he has to do that. Tell him that, you know, that the the Old Testament rule and the, the cultural uh, rules here don't apply. And that um, under your teachings that everybody gets everything divided equally and and, and fair outcomes and all of this stuff. And the Lord turns this around him and the Lord says, I, I'm not, I'm not a, a judge or divider over you. I'm, I'm not here to, um, uh, to adjudicate these kinds of, these kind of civil things between you and your family. Um, and really that's something that's between you and your brother um, and, and maybe those who are in leadership of the community, but that was not the priority or even really um, a, 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 um, a, an emphasis at all of the ministry of Jesus Christ. But then he does take the, the instance here to discuss covetousness. And, um, and he uses this idea of covetousness to give a parable of a, of a rich man um, who, um, uh, who, who, who lives his life um, with a materialist view of life. And because of that, he did not prepare at all for eternity, um, which, is, which is a really sad thing. Um, 
He, he laid up no treasures in heaven. He made no preparations for what was next. He only lived in the here and the now and lived his life after a philosophy of materialism. And because of that, um, when, he, when he died, uh, uh, there, was, there was nothing good that came of that. He did not go on to an eternal reward. He did not go on to eternal rest um, uh, the way that the saved would. Um, he went on simply to, uh, to judgment and the Lord required his soul um, and he was uh, not rich uh, uh, toward heaven or, or toward, toward eternal things and not, not rich toward God. Uh, think about that with the, uh, used this before and it's been a while. There are really uh, four, I think four key philosophies of the world. And we can see some of these even portrayed in this passage, but um, philosophies of the world that we have to be careful about because they are all going to, distract our, our, our minds and they're going to draw our attention away from eternal things. One of them is, is that materialism that, that, that I mentioned here. Materialism um, is uh, not just, uh, I don't just mean consumerism, I don't just mean uh, liking things, but materialism in a broader sense is a belief that, that all that exists is physical and tangible. Um, there's nothing beyond the physical. There is no spiritual realm. There is no spiritual world. There is no afterlife. There um, is no really somewhat of a denial even of, of God and of the supernatural. Um, it is that idea that like only that which can be seen and felt and, and, and heard and measured in some way and proven um, with, with, with scientific observation, scientific experimentation, only that is what exists. And, um, and, and it often looks like uh, uh, the, the kind of, of uh, superficial materialism that we think of, those who um, just are, are consumed with things, consumed with stuff, consumed with experiences, consumed with, um, uh, with, with uh, the things of this world and the things of this life. That's what materialism tends to look like, but it goes to a deeper belief that only that um, which is physical and tangible and therefore, uh, someone who believes that um, pursues those things which are physical. They pursue possessions. They pursue um, wealth. They pursue gain. They pursue uh, experience. Um, and, and that's what they live their lives for. And this is exactly what the man in this, this uh, parable does. There's another philosophy, uh, maybe more foundational even than that, which is uh, the, 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 the philosophy of humanism, um, a, a belief that man is really his own supreme authority, that he is the, uh, the captain of his own soul. If you, uh, if you would allow me to, to, to quote a, um, an, an old poem there, one who, who is the, uh, the, the, the supreme authority in his own life, one who gets to dictate and direct his own life and make his own decisions, um, has no uh, greater or higher accountability in his life, and one who, um, uh, who, who holds to a humanistic philosophy of life um, uh, will not subject themselves to accountability or responsibility to any other being unless, unless they want to. They, they won't bring themselves under the, the authority um, of God. They won't bring themselves under the authority of, uh, of, uh, of truth and spiritual things. They uh, hold themselves as their own, their own master and their own um, supreme authority in life. Uh, there's another philosophy uh, that the world has, and it's one um, these are all, I think, connected to each other in, in some ways, but one that uh, is called hedonism. And hedonism is essentially the belief that the highest pursuit is, is pleasure, um, is, 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 again, physical experience, is, is it the 
if it feels good, do it kind of mentality. The eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Let's, let's live life in the here and now. It, it does have elements of materialism. It absolutely has elements of humanism in it. But it goes into the realm of the, the highest pursuit and the greatest pursuit of man is simply to, uh, to, to have pleasure and enjoyment and happiness. And there is no greater pursuit in life than to just um, uh, to, to have what you want, be what you want, um, do what you want to do. And that's um, in the, the vein of hedonism, the measure of, of something's value, the measure of something's goodness is how, uh, what, what kind of sensation, what kind of experience, what kind of feeling that it gives to a person. Um, and that's certainly a dangerous worldly philosophy. And there's a fourth philosophy, one of relativism, uh, a belief that truth, um, and, and especially, and maybe particularly, um, uh, a moral truth, um, has no fixed definition, that everything is relative, that truth um, is, is, is relative, it's changing, uh, it's 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 situational. I know that we've heard before of the um, the philosophy of situational ethics. It says that um, that that the ethical response in any given situation is is based on the the circumstances at, at play. Whereas something may be wrong in one instance, it may be considered right in another. Something that is that is right in one instance may be considered wrong in another. Um, and and there's no fixed definition to what is good and what is bad, what is, um, what is righteous and what is evil, what is um, valuable and what is um, abhorrent. There's no fixed definition for any of these things. That's what relativism is. And therefore, um, life is just kind of lived, again, in the moment and, and, and not lived by, by principle, not lived by um, unchanging on, on an unchanging foundation of truth, but lived according to... Um, your, the dictates of, of one's own conscience, the dictates of one's own um, physical circumstances in any given moment. That is the, the ideology of, of, of relativism. And all these things exist in the world. And um, just like this man in the, the parable was in particular plagued by um, materialism and covetousness and, um, and, and short-sightedness, at least short-sightedness about, about eternal things, um, we also deal with um, uh, and, and battle against these philosophies. Philosophies have, have pervaded the world. Really, we, 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 we walk in them. The environment that we live in is full of humanism, materialism, hedonism, relativism. And, um, and we have to be uh, very, very diligent and, and active as, as believers to reject those notions uh, and to reject the um, the, the, the thoughts and the philosophies and even the, the, the language that supports um, these ideas. Um, it, is, it is all around us all of the time. Any one of these worldly philosophies uh, will prevent the Christian from being spiritually and, and eternally minded. Um, <clears throat> uh, we have, um, I think every one of us would, would have some, some natural leanings toward all of these in some way, but probably to one more than more than the others. Um, again, this man, I think you could pick out some humanistic elements. I think you could pick out even some maybe um, hedonistic or relativistic elements out of this, but really what we see out of the parable is, is a man consumed with materialism. That was him. Uh, maybe that's you, but maybe materialism isn't so much the philosophy um, that speaks to you, your natural man, maybe it is hedonism, maybe it is relativism, 
maybe it is humanism. We all have a, a, a natural inclination toward something of the world's philosophy that we have to go to the Word of God um, and, and, uh, and accept the, the Word of God and accept the Lord's position on over that thing that, that the natural man um, leans toward. We have to reject those um, and reject it according to the truth. Uh, we all struggle, I believe, we all struggle to, to be completely free of these worldly-minded views of life. Again, because we live in this world. We are in this world. We're not supposed to be of this world, but we live in this world, which means that, that these, these philosophies are held by virtually everyone we come into contact with, and sadly, even uh, with, by many Christians that, that we know. Um, and many good-hearted people um, still hold very closely to these worldly philosophies and live their lives by these worldly philosophies over um, the eternal principles of the Word of God. And so we are influenced by them all the time. We are confronted with them all the time. And we must learn to uh, see those things. We must learn to see them in ourselves. We must learn to see them in the world. And we must learn uh, to, to reject those worldly philosophies um, so that we can uh, live our lives um, with eternity in mind and, and be eternally minded. The Lord um, makes a statement about this man at the end of the parable in verse 21. It says, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this man made no, no provision um, for the, the, the next life and the longer life, the eternal life. He only lived his life in the here and now and therefore he was poor in spiritual things though he was rich in physical things. Um, in verse 34, which we're going to get to here this evening, um, the Lord makes this statement, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so the things that we value, the things that we live our lives for, are really going to be dictated by uh, what, what, we, what we care about, what we think, what we believe. Um, this man um, only saw the physical and the material, and therefore uh, he did not um, value spiritual, spiritual treasure. He didn't value spiritual reward, eternal reward, and therefore he earned none of it. And I certainly believe that's, that's a, a problem, an issue for us um, uh, even, even now. Um, again, to look at, at these verses uh, a little bit more closely here, um, uh, the, uh, this is a parable. It's called the parable of the rich fool. And, and uh, that, that's sometimes uh, listed as a title for it in, in your Bible. If you have a, a, a Bible that has... Um, headings on it or something like that, um, you might see that the parable of the rich fool or something to that effect. I mean, it sounds like a harsh title, but um, it is um, comes right out of the text, right? Because the Lord says there was a certain rich man, and says that in verse 16. And then um, in verse 20, um, God's response to this rich man's plan to, to build bigger barns, he calls him a fool. He says, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee uh, the Lord calls him a, a fool there. So the rich fool, the title has come, it comes right out of the text there. Um, to, to, be, to be clear, um, again, this philosophy of, of materialism is not simply about just covetousness and worldliness. It's not simply just about um, wanting to have more, but wanting to have more comes out of a, of a, a philosophy, um, a, a growing philosophy in, uh, of materialism. It's one that we all have to battle with. We're all attuned to physical things. We're all um, attuned to um, the, the uh, attraction of, 
sorry about that, the attraction of, of wealth and things and possessions. We all have a, a desire and a heart for these things. And this man was, this man was no different um, and, and had that, that heart. Material, materialism is, again, a belief primarily in that which is physical, a, 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 a hope and a, a faith in that which is material, a trust and faith in the physical world rather than in the spiritual we read this, and, and um, it's an interesting story. There's a certain rich man, and the ground brought forth plentifully. When you think about that, um, that doesn't happen by accident. Um, I think the indication here is that this man um, was rich, maybe because he was born into uh, some level of, of affluence. I don't know. Some um, maybe had, had lands to start with, or maybe he earned all of this. I think that there's certainly, if uh, his, his, his ground brings forth abundantly, I think this indicates that he was um, a, a, a diligent person, a hardworking person, a person who had some, some wisdom, some, some business acumen, a person who, had, who was not afraid of a hard day's work. He was, uh, his ground would not have brought forth abundantly if he was not doing the things that that required. This was not an accidental thing. When the Lord calls him a fool, he's not calling him a fool because um, he didn't know what he was doing when it came to um, earning a living. He absolutely did. He was working hard. He was um, using uh, uh, improved, you know, using improved methods and, 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 um, and, uh, and, and doing things the right way, a way in which he could be very, very productive. The Lord was not condemning this in him. The Lord was not condemning the fact that he had, had wealth. The Lord doesn't condemn the rich for being rich. That's not what is happening here. He's not a fool because he is rich. Um, he's not a fool because he wanted to retire. The man's ground brought forth abundantly and um, he said, I, I, what shall I do? I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods and I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now he had a little bit of a uh, as a little bit of an Epicurean philosophy, eat, drink, and be merry, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have retirement and years of retirement and ease. And the Lord, I don't believe, is, is condemning the fact that the man had an abundant harvest. I don't think he was condemning the fact that the man had a, made, come, came up with a plan to, to build bigger barns and to, uh, uh, to retire. And, um, you know, it might have been something better he could have done with his retirement years. I don't know. Uh, but I don't think that's what the Lord is condemning here. And, I, and this is, I don't believe, why he dies. I and mean, sometimes it is presented that way that um, this man for... Um, uh, for the fact that he he intended to retire and and take his take his ease um, uh, for the rest of his life, and some would point at this and say, "Well, the Lord um, killed him because he was um, he was retired." Now there was certainly some pridefulness in this. There were certainly um, some other elements that come into play and some things that we could point at and say, "Well, that's not exactly the." Uh, the, the, the Christian philosophy or the biblical um, uh, philosophy that we should want to present or live by. And, and certainly we could have that, that discussion, but I don't think that's why he died. I think he, he died because it was his time to die. Every time I read this, I, 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 I see that all, all, all I see that takes place here is the Lord doesn't say, this, Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee because of what you just said. He just says, this time shall your soul be required of thee. It was this man's time. He had no idea. He didn't know that he was going to die. I mean, obviously, if he was planning to retire and he felt like he had enough to retire on, he probably was up in years, uh, maybe coming closer to that time of life where 
um, where mortality is, is is far more of a reality. Um, but there was no, in, you know, there was no indication here that the Lord was saying you're gonna you're gonna die because you're so prideful. You're gonna die because you're so sinful. You're gonna die because you're so covetousness and selfish. Those things might have been true. The Lord doesn't say it there. He just says, "This night your soul shall be required of thee." It was his time to die, and he didn't see it coming. And he wasn't going to get another day um, to change his ways. He wasn't going to get another day to do something that had eternal value. He had lived his entire life, all that the Lord had given to him, all the days the Lord had numbered to him. He had lived them all out, and he had done nothing that was of eternal weight and value. I think the, 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 the real cautionary tale in this is that we don't know um, when life is going to end. We don't know how much time we have on this earth. We don't know how many days we have to do something that lasts. We read that poem, that longer poem last week, and the repeated lines um, from that poem by C.T. Studd were, uh, one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And this man had done nothing, nothing that would outlive his life. Um, when uh, when his soul is required of him, his goods go to those who are left behind him, but just his goods, his material possessions. Um, but he has nothing to take with him into eternity. I think the truth here is fairly evident um, that he died because it was his time to die. God did not take him early. Uh, he wasn't being condemned to death for some grave error that he made. He was Simply, it was simply his time to die, and he died that night and died unprepared for eternity. The end of his life came, and it came when he did not anticipate it. And it came, and because he didn't anticipate it, he was unprepared for it. He never gave thought to that which would be hereafter. He never took seriously um, the, the reality of, uh, um, of, of eternity. And the moral of the parable, I believe, is that Life is uh, shorter and it's more fragile than you think it is. And uh, only what is spiritual, only what we do that is spiritual in nature is going to uh, outlive our lives. Um, this man left no, 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 no legacy, uh, no, no testimony, no spiritual inheritance to his family. He just left things. And, um, and he went on to to, to stand before the Lord in judgment um, with, with nothing to show. This figurative man here in the parable was so consumed with life on earth that he never considered eternity. He earned a nice living, afforded himself a comfortable retirement, but he never laid up treasure in heaven. And his only reward was in this life. And he missed out on that because of his unexpected death. And he worked his whole life to retire and they didn't get to enjoy it because his life ended. And that's the sad truth of, of many, many Americans, many, many Christians, many people all around this world living their lives, even as, as believers, living our lives for material things, living our lives for that which is physical and giving all of our time, all of our attention, all of our hearts to those things. And in some cases, um, to finally get to a place where we could enjoy them. And sadly, we don't get to enjoy them because we've, we have an untimely death, maybe, or we lose everything in pursuit, everything of, of real value and importance in pursuit of that which is, which, which is physical and material. It's truly, I believe, 
a cautionary tale that reminds us to be more concerned with spiritual things and eternal things than it is for us to be consumed with material things and, and that which will not last. It goes on in the passage um, in Luke chapter 12. It goes on from there. And uh, the Lord says in verse 22, he said unto his disciples, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. The life is more than meat and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn. God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? Which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If then, if ye then be not able to do that which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, and they spin not. Yet I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like to one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Seek ye not that which ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be of a doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek. For your Father knoweth uh, that ye have need of these things. We'll stop there for a moment and just point out the, the, the wasted energy of, of being of being worldly and being materialistic and, and pursuing um, the hedonism, pursuing pleasure and experience and uh, living your life after these worldly philosophies. It uses the word, uses the expression several times, says take no thought. And that literally means to not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Don't be anxious about the things that you'll wear. Don't be anxious about the things that you'll uh, uh, that you'll eat. And don't be anxious about where your food's going to come from, where your shelter's going to come from, the necessities of life are going to come from because the Lord knows that you have need of those things and he promises to provide for those things. The challenge given is to reject anxious thoughts about even the necessities of life. Um, understand necessities are absolutely that, necessities, that they are things that we must have um, just to live and just to, to survive and to thrive. And the Lord promises to meet those needs Anxious thoughts and worried thoughts um, are not the means by which they are going to be met. Um, God, God is going to meet those. He's going to meet those by his power. He's going to meet those uh, through, his, through his servants in some cases. The Lord is going to meet those in miraculous ways. But the thing that is never going to um, pay the bills is anxious and worried thoughts. Uh, or may open a door for... Um, uh, uh, for you to, to, to earn some income and, and to go out and work and to earn to provide your needs. It may, may open a door that way or may open an opportunity here or there. God may uh, send, send unexpected and, and, and un, um, unasked for assistance from somebody else. The Lord has many, many ways in which he can provide for our needs and he has the power to do that. But the thing he has never, ever used is our anxious and worried thoughts. And yet anxious and worried thoughts rob us of, of, our, of, our, of our faith and they rob us of our energy and they, they rob us of our life and of our time, um, cause us to, to waste so much of our time, robs us of joy and peace, uh, that which God wants to give us in times of physical need. See, again, to go back to this philosophy of materialism, materialism teaches us to believe in what we can see. But faith teaches us to uh, uh, to, to believe in what we, we can't see and what we haven't seen. The world says, so often, I'll believe it when I see it, and, and yet 
the truth from Scripture is often that we will see it when we believe it. Um, it, it is in direct contrast to a philosophy of materialism, living by what we can see and, and feel and measure and, and predict and understand. God works in, um, in higher ways than that. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight. That's in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We're called to certainly work hard and be good stewards of God's gift. But we're not called in that to be self-reliant and self-sufficient or selfish in, in these things either. Um, so much of our, of our time and our life and our energy is, is wasted in, in worry and concern for those things which are simply material. And, and for God, that is something that is just, just so very, very basic and, and such a, 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 an immense waste of our time to be consumed with those things. But he gives the answer in verse 31 and he says, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all of these things shall be added unto you. And fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, sell that ye have and give alms and provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so what the book of um, um, the book of Ephesians calls this is redeeming the time, living a life of, of redeemed time, that we are to walk circumspectly and walk in the spirit and walk in light and walk in truth so that we can redeem the time because the days are evil. The answer to materialism is faithfully walking in the spirit. When we're walking by faith in the spirit, um, we will pray about our needs and we'll pray for the needs of others. And our, 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 our first response to, to problems will be prayer. We'll put first the kingdom of God. In, in verse 31, again, it says, Seek the kingdom of God and these things shall be added unto you. We know this is uh, similar to Matthew 6.33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. It's really in a parallel passage, these two are. And... Uh, we put God's things first. We put God's work first. We put God's kingdom first. We put God's purpose for our lives ahead of our own will and our own desire and our own thoughts. And when we put those things first, we're walking in the spirit and God is going to meet those needs and give us peace and grace and joy and provision. And we will have eternal reward to show for that. He even calls us to live sacrificially and unselfishly he says in verse 33, um, in these, even in a, in a, in a situation of, of deep need and, and um, uh, in, in poverty, the, he says, sell that ye have and give alms, right? Um, be generous to other people too. Help those that are um, more disadvantaged than you are. Uh, things might be tight and getting tighter. Um, things might be uh, slim and getting slimmer um, at the moment. But there's always someone who has a deeper need than you do. And we're called to not focus on our own needs and, and focus on our own problems, uh, but to look outside of ourselves and be used by God um, to be a, a vessel and a conduit um, of his mercy and of his blessing to other people. And, and with that, um, uh, accumulate um, uh, eternal rewards. Even if we don't see the um, uh, the, the, the benefit 
We don't see the, the, the reward, the repayment, the recompense of that in this earth. The Lord doesn't forget. The Lord is going to reward us in heaven for those things. We're to value um, eternal, uh, the, the, the souls, uh, the eternal souls uh, of others. We're supposed to care for them. We're supposed to care for their salvation. We're supposed to care for their spiritual condition. We're supposed to care for um, uh, their, their, their walk and their relationship with God and how we can um, be, a, be a, a benefit to them and be a servant to them in that walk. We're supposed to value things which have eternal significance. And most the things that have the most eternal significance are others, souls. The only things that are, are going to last are the souls of men, souls of mankind. And, um, and, and we're to invest in, um, in, in, in the, the salvation and the, the, the blessing and the growth of, of others. Um, so that there's eternal significance, eternal reward, eternal value that comes from that. We're going to go forward. We're going to finish this this chapter out next week and go forward in some other things about this. But um, this chapter, again, challenges us uh, in in light of being ready for the Lord's return. Are Are we living in the fear of God? Are we walking in the Spirit? Are we rejecting the world's ways and the world's philosophies um, that, uh, um, that, that, that are deceiving us into wasting our lives? Or are we uh, walking in the Spirit? Are we walking in the fear of God in a way in which our lives are going to be used for something that will outlive our lives? Uh, so the challenge for us here tonight, if we're going to be ready when the Lord comes to take us, either by death or by rapture, we cannot be living by a worldly mindset of, of humanism, uh, of materialism, of hedonism, of relativism. We can't adopt and adapt to these, these philosophies if we are going to be ready for the Lord's return. We must reject those and, and, and live according to the precepts and the principles that God has laid out for us in Scripture.